Well, happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, my, my brother actually wrote a blog or an article for Lifeway about a month ago warning all pastors of this weekend uh, as many have departed to lakes or rivers or uh, wherever they may be. But we're here, and I'm always thankful on weekends like this where there's an opportunity where people get away um, that the Word of God promises us where two or more meet. Two or more meet, that's all it takes. In His name, He's here. And so um, don't be discouraged if you look around like, where is everybody? Um, be excited that you're here, you're in His presence. And we're going to open the Word of God and celebrate Memorial Day weekend by looking at uh, some things that God has called His people to remember. It's obviously a time we remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms we have freedom we have just to be in this place, the freedom of worship. The government does not tell us how we can worship, who we can worship, when we can worship, but we can worship freely our Lord and Savior and our God who sits upon His throne. You know, memories are kind of funny things when we talk about Memorial Day weekend. Um, if you're like me, there's times where you can remember some of the dumbest things, right? Uh, you can remember like celebrities' middle names or who their kids' names are, or how old they are, who they're married to or who they once married, were married to or all the movies they were involved in. You can rattle some what I call useless information and some of us may be encyclopedias of useless information. We can just rattle that off. But then when it comes to things that are maybe a little more important or I would say more important like people we have relationships with. Like have you ever been to a point where, where you're talking with somebody and someone asks you, what was their name? again and you know it I mean your brain is actually giving you that image in your head of their name and what they do and their whole family life and you see that but it's just it's stuck there or maybe it's an important question just to remember something and you can picture the answer in your head but it just will not come out and it's just I mean memories are just funny sometimes they work and sometimes they don't um, this last week in our Chevy Cruze, the uh, satellite radio came back on because it was a free preview for about a week or a week and a half. And so when our family's in the car, we listen to the Christian radio station. But here's my confession. When I'm in the car alone, if I have the radio on, I turn it to the 90s station. Um, so when I was in middle school, it was 90s, and I graduated in 97. And so I was listening to the 90s radio station uh, this week. And I am amazed how many songs that I haven't heard in like 20 years that will play. And I will just be singing along like I, I heard it yesterday. I'm amazed how many songs are just stuck in my head. For example, if I go dun 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 da da dun 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 there you go. You see, you know it. And there's songs that just pop in your head and you'll start singing. And it's not even a song you've heard in a long time, but it just comes to mind. That's how our memories work. In our family, uh, Ethan is the memory man. Uh, it, there will be times that Jamie and I will look to Ethan if we forgot something and say, Ethan, do you remember if we did this? Uh, Ethan, do you remember where mommy and daddy put their shoes type of thing? And Ethan will rattle off, oh yeah, it's over here, over here, yeah, we did eat and things like that. I mean, Ethan is the memory man. When he was three or four years old, we would play the game memory, you know, the thing where you lay out the cards and you match them up. And at three or four years old, Jamie and I could hold our own with Ethan. By the age of five, he started beating us, and we were trying. I mean, I know his parents sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm going to let my kid win and build up his self-esteem. But we were trying to beat our son. I mean, we were, we were literally trying. So we thought we would get a bigger one. 
more cards, more matches. We would have a better chance. The percentage should be in our favor. It's two against one. Obviously, Abby wasn't playing. She was just a baby. So Ethan, we're playing him, and, and he's annihilating us. I mean, he, he wins humbly, though. So if you play Ethan a game, he will win humbly. Um, as he gets all of his stacks of cards, uh, he will say, wow, that was fun. How, let's count and see how many matches we got. And so, you know, Jamie and I have to count to like three, and he's like counting to 20. And so he says, oh, good job, Mommy and Daddy. You know, better luck next time. And he's still the memory champion. So now we don't, when we play memory, we don't even think about beating Ethan. The whole goal is to beat Abby. Um, I mean, that's the goal. Because Abby, just a word of advice, if you play a game with Abby, she is a sore winner and loser. And it's not a good, if she beats you, you will know it. Yeah, she, ha, 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 I won, yeah, ooh, yeah. I mean, she would do the whole dance, and if she loses, ah, I mean, just, it just comes out of her. But memories are the funniest things because um, there's things we want to remember that we really struggle with, and there's things we, we wish we could forget. Uh, in the Bible, God sets up things to help his people remember, and we're going to look at one of those events Today, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to Joshua chapter 3. Um, God, throughout Scripture, sets up symbols and signs and festivities and celebrations, things that we would some call, call holidays, in order to create these moments and these images in His people's minds to remember the great things that He has done in their life, because we struggle with those things. As you make your way to Joshua, which is in the Old Testament, the sixth book of the Old Testament, uh, we'll be in, beginning in chapter 3 and work our way through chapter 4. Just get our minds ready for this passage and what's going on. Joshua is the very first book of the historical books in the Old Testament. It's considered a bridge book from what is called the Pentateuch. That's the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And then Joshua begins to set up the historical books, which takes you into the monarchy or, or the, the, the kingdom of Israel. Well, in the book of Joshua, uh, Joshua is the man that is commissioned by the Lord to be the successor to lead the people of Israel into the promised land, which is where we're going to come in right now in chapter 3. They've yet to enter the promised land. This is a land that was promised to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 13. This had nothing to do with who the people of God were except the fact that they came from Abraham's seed. They were his family, and they were the nation that was promised to him. So as Joshua is beginning to lead the people, he's stepping into some very big shoes. The last leader of Israel was Moses. I mean, you talk about plagues and burning bush and crossing the Red Sea and water from rock and manna from heaven and uh, Moses. I mean, they make movies after Moses, right? Moses, okay? This, Joshua's now stepping into his shoes and he is having to lead a very rebellious people into the promised land. They've been waiting 40 years for this moment as the last generation has had to die off because of their unfaithfulness and their disobedience to the command of God. So now Joshua is stepping in. God has commissioned him to be strong and faithful. You're going to lead these people into the land that I have promised them, and I am giving, them, giving it to them. See, Moses was a leader for the time Israel needed. Moses was a shepherd. So he led Israel through the wilderness. He fed them and gave them water, not only physically, but spiritually. Joshua, Scripture lets us know that he is a commander. He is a, an army man. And so he is a leader for the time being. He is leading the people into the promised land to take over. As we jump over in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, 
The word of the Lord says that Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. And they went as far as Jordan and stayed there before the crossing. The Acacia Grove there in verse 1, you may also read as Shittim in some translations. The opening verse of chapter 3 is to tie this event to the preceding chapters. Chapter 1, Joshua is commissioned. And he sends out the spies. Uh, chapter 2, they get news about Jericho. And, and the sending out of the spies and hearing about the fortified city of Jericho happens in this place of the Acacia Grove or the place known as Shittim. As the Israelites come to the Jordan River, it now comes to a moment of truth. Again, the Israelites have been wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. As God said, this generation will not go into the land that I promised them. Matter of fact, Moses was also told because he got so frustrated with the people that he would not go into the promised land. And so now they stand upon the banks of the Jordan River. They've heard the reports of what's in the promised land. They've had spies go out. They know there are fortified cities. They know there are kings with armies. They know there are giants that live in the land. And they are to go and take it because God is gifting it to them. And this is the moment of truth. Because once you cross this river, there's no turning back. Once you go across, you are stuck. This river was not only going to act as a roadblock to getting across and seeing the wonders of God, but once they got across, it was going to be a roadblock or a wall in order to escape. There was no fleeing. There was no retreating. Once you're there, you are following God and trusting God completely. The Bible tells us in verse 15 of chapter 3 that this is the harvest season or it is springtime. And though that may not mean a lot to us, what it is telling us is that the Jordan River is now overflowed on its banks. In normal time of year, the Jordan River would be about 50 to 60 yards across. So you think about half a football field. But when the snow from the mountains that surrounded the Jordan River came, it overflowed on its banks, making it three times as wide and deep. By all human logic, this is not the time to cross the river. This, we should wait. We should, we should wait to another time. And, and we can do that in our own life. We can rationalize, God, you know, this is not the best time for this. We, 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 we can rationalize whether it's coming to walking in faith with God or sharing our faith with someone else or, or some more human elements of dieting or budgeting or exercising. You know, I'm the worst at this, to be honest with you. Come Monday morning, man, I am wanting to start eating healthy and exercising. But if I miss Monday and it's Tuesday, you know what I do? Ah, oh, it's Tuesday. I know I start next week. I did ice cream, right? Problem is, if we do this in our faith, we're being disobedient. We're showing a lack of trust. God was commanding his people to get ready. We're crossing this river no matter how big or deep it is. I'm taking you and you have to trust me completely. Now, if this was the Oregon Trail video game, it would be most likely everybody in the wagon would die, Right? The Israelites, as they're looking at this river, looking at this incredible odd and already knowing the odds that lay on the other side, they're having to completely trust in God in this moment, and they're having completely to do away with their logic that they may have in their mind. You know, our rationalizations about, you know, it's not the right time to share my faith. You know, I don't know if it's the right time to do that. And we can, we can argue with God and in our minds and our hearts a lot, but here's the truth of the matter. When God says go, when God says share, when God says do, the only thing we have left is to do it. There's no debate. There's no arguing. It doesn't matter how hard it looks, 
how big it looks and how much time it's going to take or money or resources or how much we're going to wrestle going through it. When God says go, we're called to go. If you notice, God isn't going to allow the Israelites to have their moments of doubt. He immediately sends the marching orders. Look in verse 3 with me in chapter 3. And commanded the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priests, you are to break camp, meaning you're to pack everything up and you're to follow it. But keep a distance about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark and don't go near it. So you can always see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. So Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Then he said to the priests, carry the ark of the covenant and go on ahead of the people. So they carried the ark of the covenant and went ahead of them. The ark here that is referring to is, uh, you can kind of think of Indiana Jones, Raiders of Lost Ark. What it means in Scripture is it is the place where God has placed things to allow the people to remember. The Ten Commandments are in there. The law is in there. There's things that they've had from the 40 years of wandering that are in there. It's, it's representations of their journey with God and how God has continued to provide and protect them and continue to lead them. What they're going to do with the ark is the, the Jewish people, the Israelites particularly in this moment in time, the ark represented the divine presence of God within the camp of Israel. So when you go into the life of David and he rejoices that the ark is coming back to Jerusalem is because it is a symbol, a representation that the presence of God, the protection, the blessings of God is coming back upon his people. But notice that what God tells them to look at. Though the waters may be deep, may be long, verse 3 says, when you see the ark. See, God is directing his people, don't look at the impossible in front of you, but look at the God of the impossible. Keep your eyes, keep your attention, keep your focus on me. Watch me as I go out and I lead the way. And what are you to do? You're simply to follow the place where I'm going. He also reminds them in verse 4, but you need to keep a distance. Because the ark was a representation of the holiness of God. It is reminders to the people of Israel that you are a sinful people. You are a rebellious people. You are a people who cannot be in my full holiness and my full presence. So you must be reminded of this separation of sin that is in your life. He goes on to say, to tell him at the end of verse 4, you need to do this. You need to keep your eyes on me, your eyes on the ark, because you haven't traveled this way before. The implication to the people of Israel is that you haven't been here yet, but I have. I know what's going to happen. I know it's going to take place. I know where we need to go. You keep your eyes on me and I'll get you there. I think a lot of times we can do the exact opposite. Is that we can come up with a plan. I'm horrible at this. Come up with a plan and try to do it and we just rush on into it. But if you notice, even though it's marching orders, what God tells his people to do, to wait. They're to get upon the shores of the Jordan River and wait. Sometimes when we rush into trying to figure things out and getting things done, some because we think we know how or what needs to take place or what it needs to look like, we make more of a mess than we need to. And God simply says you need to wait and keep your eyes on me. You need to wait because I'm taking you to a place where you haven't been before. But if you follow me, we're going to get there the way I need you to get there. Coming back to this passage in verse 5, the people have a job to do. It says, consecrate yourselves. 
It's the same phrase as used in Exodus chapter 19 when the Lord descended upon Mount Sinai knowing to reveal His presence and put the reverence or the fear of Himself into the hearts of His people but to deliver the law and His ways. It's the same phrase that Joshua is going to use in the midst of the promised land conquest. The one defeat the Israelites have, it deals with the nation of I. It's because they rushed in. They didn't wait for God. They, they attempted to do it on their own. And after that battle, Joshua was told by the Lord that the people of Israel need to consecrate themselves. They have, they've taken things that have been dedicated to destruction. At the end of Joshua, before he dismisses the people to go to the lands that have been given them, again, it's a call to consecrate. What the phrase means is you need to make yourselves holy. You need to sanctify yourself. You need to separate yourself from all the wickedness and all the sinful acts that you have in your life. It's not only a call to people to do ceremonial washes, but a call to sacrifices. It was a call to purity. God says that if you want to be a part of my mission, you need to purify your heart. You need to make yourself right. You need to make yourself in a place where you're willing to be fully trusting and obedient to me, where you are completely relying upon me alone. You may think you can do this. You may have the forces to do it, but trust me, without me, you will fail. As we prepare for VBS or Maker Fun Factory, so many times we can look at these ministries, whether it's that or Wednesday Night Lives or Wednesdays in the Park or even worship on Sunday mornings, and we can say, you know, we know how this works. We know what it's going to look like, what we need to do, and so we just rush on into it. But if we truly want to see the wonders of God, then the call is for us to consecrate ourselves, to purify ourselves, to humbly submit ourselves to the will and word of God, to be obedient and to trust in Him, to rely upon God to do what only God can do in these ministries. You know, we can put on Sunday morning worships. We can put on Wednesday night lives. We can put on a week of, of Maker Fun Factory. We can put on Wednesday nights in the park. We can put on ministries to reach out to the community. But if we're not waiting on God and purifying ourselves and, and aligning ourselves with the Word of God, we will fail spiritually every time. Every time. This is a call not only for us as God's people, but for us as a church to seek purity. To ask ourselves, am I attempting to do something I should not do? As the people get ready to cross across the Jordan River, again, not a great time to do it, <laughs> but it's a moment of truth for them to be completely dependent upon God. And if we look in Scripture, it is this same river where God calls His people to consecrate that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was baptized in. The same river. The same river where now by our faith in Jesus Christ and His life, death, and resurrection, by following His example of baptism, we now consecrate ourselves to God. We are now purified by Jesus Christ's righteousness and His holiness and His perfection all by our faith. We do this, and, and the people of God here in Joshua are doing this because it is to set up the expectation of God to do wonders. Do you know God wants to do wonders in this church? He wants to do wonders in your life, and the life of your family. But there's a prerequisite. We have to purify ourselves. We have to seek after Him and to trust on Him instead of our own intuition. Our intuition's flawed by sin, people. 
And so God calls us and gives us the instruction, prepare yourselves, prepare your hearts and your minds, prepare your souls, prepare yourselves for my presence and prepare yourselves for me to do what only I can do in your life. As the march began, it's, it's, it's amazing. Can you imagine Joshua in this moment? He spent the last 40 years, I mean, he was a pretty close ally to Moses. And so he got to see all of the complaints and the bickering. He got to see Moses' frustration, Moses' high and lows. He got to see the heart of the people that he is supposed to lead. And now he's on this banks. He, he sent two spies in. They came back. Yeah, we found Jericho. It's a fortified city. <laughs> there's, there's kings and armies there. But God's given it to us, so we better go. But can you imagine? Because Joshua's human. As he's standing there on the river and and God says, you're going to send the ark in and the waters are going to part. And if that were you, wouldn't you be like, man, I hope this works. Thankfully, Joshua, he's he's been in a similar situation before, hasn't he? Joshua is one of the few that was alive and old enough to remember the time when God brought his people out of Egypt. When he stood on the shores and the Egyptian army was bearing down on them and then God opened up the Red Sea and they crossed on dry ground, Joshua was there. And the Lord gives Joshua this this incredible promise there in verse 7. He says, I will be with you just as I was with Moses. And there's times I read those things in Scripture and it makes me think, I bet God knew Joshua's heart. He knew what Joshua was struggling with and wrestling with and the fears Joshua's had because God doesn't do anything without purpose. So he comes to Joshua in this moment of truth, this moment of faith, this moment of obedience and says, I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. Moses was a man who was with God face to face. He had a friendship with God that he he was in the presence of the Holy of Holies. He'd have to hide his face with a veil when he comes to the presence of the people. And this promise now delivering to Joshua that I'm going to be with you, so get ready because you're about to see something spectacular. So verse 8, it says, Command the priests, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the water, you stand in the Jordan. Man, when you look at this passage, and some of you may be familiar with the story, the waters are going to part here in a second. But you know what? It's a calling of God that for God to do the wonders, it doesn't rely upon our activity. What are the people of God supposed to do? Stand upon the edge of the Jordan. It doesn't rely upon our activity. It relies upon our obedience. It relies upon our trust and our faith. A lot of times we get so busy trying to do stuff for God rather than allowing God to do stuff through us. So we just need to stand and let God prepare the way and then we join Him in what He's already doing. Verse 9 through 13, they're given the marching orders, which again aren't really marching orders. But it says, Joshua told the Israelites, come closer and listen to the words of the Lord your God. He said, you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly dispossess before you the Canaanites, the Hethites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord of the whole earth goes ahead of you into the Jordan, now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one for each tribe. When the feet of the priests who carried the ark of the Lord, the Lord of the whole earth, come to rest in the Jordan's waters, its water will be cut off, the water flowing, water flowing downstreams will stand up in a mass. 
Jump back to verse 9. The first instructions is listen. You need to come closer and listen. Again, that idea is you need to be quiet. You need to be still. You need to stop thinking of your own plans. You need to hear what God has planned. You need to hear God's instructions and how God's going to do this. Not only to come close and listen, but it's to listen to the words of who the Lord, your God. It's a statement saying that this is a personal God. He is personally invested in you and personally invested in your success. But you need to come close and you need to first listen. And the point of doing this and listening and the point of what God is getting ready to do is so that you will know that the living God is among you. It is a statement that it is time for your faith to grow and to be strengthened. I'm not doing this just so I can show you a cool display of power. I'm doing this so you personally will know that who the living God is among you. What an important statement is they go to the promised land and the nations worship dead gods, false gods, demons. The living God is among you and this is why this is about to happen. It also says that you will not only know the living God is among you, but that I am the Lord, verse 11 and verse 13, the Lord of the whole earth. I'm the Lord of the whole earth. It is telling the people, look, what is about to happen is because I control all things. All things on this planet are under my command. All things on this planet belong to me. I own them. So as the people in the promised land think they own that land, you need to understand that I own it. And I'm not giving it to you that you own it. I'm giving it to you that you be a good steward of it. Because if they go in the promised land, guess what God's going to do? This is how you need to live in this land. This is what you need to do. This is when you need to stop doing it. I'm basically giving you this to be a good steward of it, just as he gives things in our own life that we be a good steward of it. We may have our name on it. We may claim it to be ours. But the reality of it is, is God's. 100% God's. He's simply gifted it to us. As Josh was getting ready, you know, there are a lot of similarities here between the Red Sea and the Jordan. I imagine those memories were flooding back into Joshua's mind. But there's also some differences. The Red Sea, the people of God are running away from a nation that is heavily opposed to anything to do with God. Here at the Jordan River, the people of God are running two nations that are heavily opposed to God or anything to do with God. The Red Sea crossing, there's no further instruction except to wait for God to part the waters and get through on dry ground and watch God's mighty hand come upon the Egyptians. Here at the Jordan River, they're given instructions that the God once again will part the waters. You're to walk through, but you're to pick up these 12 stones carried by 12 men, each representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And the reason I point that out, because I think there's times in our life we've had these incredible experiences with God. Those, those memorial experiences. We remember God doing something, showing himself, saying something at the right moment, at the right time. We did those holy goosebump pimples right all over us. We just feel the presence of God. And sometimes what we can do, we can be tempted to say, God, just do it again. Just do it again. Just like you did then, just do it again. And what we find over and over in Scripture is there are times that God reveals Himself in very similar ways, but never with the same purpose. So God may reveal Himself in something that reminds you of a past experience, but it's never to recreate the moment. But instead it's to create a new faith, a new perspective, and a new step in your walk with. God wants to do something new because He is the God of creation. He is the God of newness. 
And as the people of God are preparing to see God do the wonders, we're, let me just say, it happens, okay? Waters part, they did the stones, they did a cross. Jump with me to the end of chapter 4. If you want to read it later this afternoon, um, I encourage you to do so. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, we find the purpose to all of this. He said to the Israelites in the future, when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones? See, they've brought them across, they've set them up, it's a, like a memorial, what we call a monument. You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until he had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. Verse 24, this is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty, and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. God is telling that this is what this is for, because God knows you and I struggle with memory. We struggle with remembering things. If you don't believe me, how many times has God told you to do something, you do the exact opposite? We struggle with remembering things. And so God has his people, the Israelites, set up this monument, this memorial stone, so that they can remember. But if you also see the emphasis here is when your children ask your fathers. The same emphasis is given in verse 6 of chapter 4. When your children ask. You know what it is doing? It's showing us the primary focus of spiritual training. Biblical training is not placed upon the church, the pastor, the children's pastor, or the youth pastor. It's placed upon the parent. It's when your children... When your children ask their fathers, they are to tell the children, this is what this means. This is what this represents. God brought us through the Jordan River. He actually took us through the Red Sea as well. He brought us to this place. His hand is mighty so that we may fear him. We may have an awe of him and a reverence of him. And so it is upon the parent to be the primary teacher of biblical truth into their children's lives. And so we have these monuments in our lives, these experiences, these holy goosebumps, not for our own self, but for those that we can pass on to our kids. I want to encourage you, share your testimony with your children. Share your testimony with your children. Now, some of y'all have maybe some rough testimonies like mine, so there's some things you may need to like, edit out to make it a PG version. But share your testimony with your kids. Share about those moments that God just revealed himself in such a miraculous way. For some of y'all who have been here since the beginning of Harvest Hill, you've seen God work in ways you never saw or never expected. Share those things with people who come to visit. Share those things with your kids, how God is working in your lives, how things remind you. Matter of fact, I want to encourage you as a brother and sister in Christ, this Memorial Weekend, as you sit down with family and friends, that's what the call is, to share the testimonies and experiences of God with those you love. Make that a part of your conversation. Share how God is living in your life. Share how he's been active in your life. That's what people in this world need to hear. They need to know he's not a God just confined to a church building. He is a God who's alive and well, and he is alive in our life. So we have symbols that remind us of those things. Just as the Israelites have these stones that they set up, we have symbols. This church is a symbol that God is worthy of our praise. 
Some of us wear crosses around our necks or on our t-shirts. It's a symbol. It represents that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again because we are sinners in need of God's grace, his love and his forgiveness. We take up a tithe to, to not say, okay, God, here's you know, money I've got in my pocket. It's to say, God, I trust you as the God who continues to provide for my needs. We do the Lord's Supper and, and recognizing that it is a symbol that Jesus was broken for us. His blood was spilled out. We follow Jesus in baptism. It is a symbol to say that we are now dying to our former self and rising new in Christ. So we have all these symbols to do what? To remind us. Remind us and put the fear and awe and reverence of God back in our hearts. Some of y'all this afternoon, what you need to do is you just need to sit down and remember those moments where God just showed up in your life and it was like boom. You need to write that down. You just need to spend some time remembering those moments. I think this is why God's people become so dull to the presence of God in worship. Because we get used to routine. We get very forgetful. We forget that God is the God of doing wonders in our life and wonders in this church. And we need to be reminded of those times he's already done those things and to share those. Man, our God is alive and active. He's doing some incredible things. Some of them we've been aware of and some of them we haven't. We need to share about those and pass those along. Notice that it's not just for the sake of those you love and those who are the, the people of God But in verse 24, it says that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty. The point of memory is not only to remind us, but a testimony and a teaching moment of the grace and the greatness of God, but it's also to move us in obedience to sharing about our faith and our experiences with God with those who don't know. That those all the peoples of the earth may know. That's what God wants these things for, that we may know. We move from a knowledge then to a fear, a worship. But notice what it does not say. It does not say, I want you to build these monuments and I want you to stay right here. See, the people of God, it's just the beginning. I think a lot of us sometimes, that's exactly where we live whether it's a glory day or a regret in the past. Even though God has shown up, we live in that place. And nowhere in Scripture will you find God saying for us to live in the past. We're to think about it. We're to remember it. We're to learn from it and grow from it, but never live in it. The calling of Scripture is that we live in the present. We're not even supposed to live in the future. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't even know if you're going to make it to tomorrow. So we live in the present. The psalmist says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The only way I can rejoice in this day that the Lord has made is if I'm living in this day. Don't dwell on your regrets and dwell on your past. God's already won the victory over those. He's already broken those chains. He's calling you to live now and live forever with Him, to glorify Him and and to praise Him for the, the victories He's given you in the past. Maybe you're here right now and that's exactly where you need to come before God because you know that's where you've been living. You've been living in a place he's, He doesn't want you to be. You just need to hand that over to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I've been allowing this regret. I've been allowing this pain, this experience in the past to keep me there that I'm not allowing you to move me to where you need me to be. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you've, you've already accepted Christ and you, you're already 
living for him. But one thing that's come to realization is we've come to the Jordan River in Joshua is that you've yet to follow Christ in baptism. You've yet to begin your imitation of Jesus Christ by following an example in baptism. And as the people of God are going through the Jordan River, you realize, you know what? I need to go to the Jordan with Jesus. I need to follow his example. I need to get into the waters of baptism and have my heart and my mind and my soul consecrated and purified and set and trusted in God and God alone. Perhaps you're here today, and one thing you need to hear is this whole thing is built upon the God who is the God of covenants. That word covenant in Scripture means a God of promises. And the one thing about God, unlike you and me, is that God keeps His promises. Always will. He'll never go back on His word. And there's some promises in Scripture for you and for me today. One promise is that God loves you. God loves you. He is for you, not against you. He loves you so much He sent His only Son to die on a cross for your sins. They placed Him in the tomb, but He rose three days later. You and I could be completely forgiven. We would be given the gift of salvation, the promise of eternal life. But Scripture also promises that if I don't place my faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, that I am heading to a place that the Bible refers to as hell, which is eternal separation from God. But the promise of God is He doesn't want that for your life. He wants you to be in a relationship restored back to Him, but it only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To do that, the Bible says, I first have to admit that I'm a sinner. Perhaps we were talking about the past, and you were reminded of some of the regrets and sins and things in your past. You don't want to be reminded of. You want to, you want to be completely out of your life, but the reality is we all have things in our life, sins, what the Bible refers to it, that separate us from a holy God. There's a distance, just like God said, a distance between the ark and the people coming across the Jordan. And those sins cannot be removed by you and me going to church enough, singing enough songs, reading the Bible enough. It can only be removed by our faith in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice alone. So you come to this point, realizing that I have sin in my life, I have regrets, I have big mistakes. But I also believe that God loves me because He sent His Son to die for me. I believe in the story of Easter. I believe He rose from the grave. And now the realization has finally come upon you. I need to place my faith in that. The Bible says when I place my faith in that, I believe that in my heart, and I confess it with my mouth, I will be saved. That's what God wants for you. His promise is for you, for all who believe. And if you're here this morning and that's where you are, I'm going to be standing down here if you need to admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again and confess Him as your Lord and Savior, that's why we come this moment of invitation. But maybe you're here this morning and you just need to let something go of your past and stop dwelling in it. Maybe you're here and you just need to follow Jesus in baptism. I don't know, but I know God has spoken in so many ways this morning. Because God is good. His word does not come back void. So however God is speaking to your heart and however you need to respond, this is the time. We have the worship team to come on up. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time of memorials. Thank you for this time of, of just remembering, Lord. I thank you for what you've done in my life, the way you've just jumped upon the scene and revealed yourself in your glory. Forgive me, Father, when I have forgotten those things. Forgive me, Father, when I've gone back to my old sinful ways and relied upon those more than you, and I've trusted in those things more than you. In this moment, this time, Lord, I repent. I'm so thankful for your grace. I'm so thankful for your strength. I'm so thankful that you want to do great and mighty deeds through my life and through the life of this church. Lord, help us as your people come before you and humbly submit ourselves to consecrate ourselves in this moment. 
However you've spoken, whatever response needs to happen as we sing this song of invitation, Lord, I ask your spirit just draw these people to you. Give us the insight and discernment that we need that's far beyond our own understanding. If our legs need to move to walk down the aisle, Lord, just push us. Make it so we cannot stand where we're, where we're standing. And I thank you for everything you've done here this morning. I thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church and the life of your people. Father, I give the Maker Fun Factor to you. It is completely yours. It is for your glory. Allow your name alone be glorified in it. Give every ministry from children's church to youth ministry to our, our Bible studies, to our prayer meetings, to, to every aspect of this church to you, Lord, that you alone be glorified. Father, you would use this for great mighty works beyond our own capabilities, that we would completely surrender ourselves to the indwelling spirit inside of us, that your power would just flow out of this place. Father, you are good. Thank you for being alive in our life. Thank you for revealing yourself the way you do. And I thank you for this day. Father, as we come this time of invitation, let us rejoice because you have made it. And let us be glad in it. We pray this on your son's name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing.